0: Please rise for the reading of God, verses 25 through 33. Hear now God's word. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And thus far the reading of God's Word and all God's people said. Amen. A few preliminary things I want to say. Obviously, we're last couple of Sundays been speaking to wives, and now the turn to speak to husbands. But I also want to speak to the young people, to any who are single. You should pay careful attention to these things as the Lord directs your steps in finding a husband or a wife in the future. Because these are the qualities that he says will be essential to your prosperity and your being a blessing to uh, your family and to the world and and to future generations. So there's something in here for everyone. I want to start today by saying to the husbands and wives of our church that I see a fundamental biblical pursuit of godly marriages and families in most of you. In many cases, it is quite impressive, in fact stellar, and in some cases there is clear progress being made, so I say to you, keep up the good work. The last two Sundays I've dealt with the role of the Christian wife and God's call for her submit to and respect her husband. That is her primary calling by God. Neither we nor the Bible are embarrassed by these standards, but rather we embrace them wholeheartedly. But they go together. We never take one truth and separate it from another. And so as Paul is laying this out in the book of Ephesians, he begins with wives, but now very quickly turns to address husbands and actually spends a good bit more time on the role of the husband. And so there is a balance here, and these things always have to be taken together, never isolated from from one another. Elizabeth Elliot wrote, Sexuality is a mystery representing the deepest mystery we know anything about, the relationship of Christ and his church. When we deal with masculinity and femininity, we are dealing with the, the live and awful shadows of reality utterly beyond... This is a quote, actually, she has from C.S. Lewis. We live with the awful shadows of realities utterly beyond our control and largely beyond our direct knowledge. Elizabeth Elliot continues, God made her from the man... ...out of his very bone, and then he brought her to the man. When Adam named Eve, he accepted responsibility to husband her, to provide for her, to cherish her, to protect her. These two people together represent the image of God. One of them, in a special way, the initiator, and the other, the responder. Neither the one nor the other was adequate alone to bear the divine image." God put these two in a perfect place, and you know the rest of the story. They rejected their humanity and used their God-bestowed freedom to defy Him, decided they'd rather not be mere man and woman, but gods, arrogating to themselves the knowledge of good and evil, a burden too heavy for human beings to bear. Eve and her refusal to accept the will of God refused her femininity. Adam, in his capitulation to her suggestion, abdicated his masculine responsibility for her. It was the first instance of what we would recognize now as role reversal. This defiant disobedience ruined the original pattern, and things have been in an awful mess ever since. The world looks for happiness through self-assertion. The Christian knows that joy is found in self-abandonment. Again, Elizabeth Elliot. Now, I want to be emphatic that we deplore any and all abuses perpetrated by men against women, and let us not forget by women against men. For all have sinned. It is, therefore, all the more important that we see and understand the reciprocal roles of both godly men and godly women. This is a system designed by our Creator to produce happy and productive marriages and families. And so we lift high the standard, and indeed, we will fight for it. Turning to husbands. Men, to be the head is to be the source sweet headwaters make for a lovely river but if you want to poison the whole river then poison the headwaters whatever kind of husband you are then that's the kind of household that you will have that feature of you whether it's good or bad will dominate your household your faithfulness or unfaithfulness will be the dominant feature This is is an inescapable concept. You are the husband. You are the head. You're either a good one or a bad one. It's the very nature of the position of husband. And the duties and responsibilities are high and demanding, and it will take a man and not a boy to do this. You will have to step up. It is God's plan under normal conditions that husbands are the covenant heads of households. And as covenant heads, husbands have the duty, have a duty to honor and obey God toward all those who come under their charge. You have that. Husbands have this duty and responsibility, this duty to God to submit to Him. And in that submission to demonstrate the husband's... In the husband, the love of God toward those who are in his care. To treat his wife, to treat his children the way God requires him to do so. So he begins by being the submissive bride to Christ. He demonstrates what that looks like before he heads out to lead. Having received his instructions from the Word of God, the godly husband then assumes full responsibility for his household, instructing and disciplining them in the way of the Lord. The word husband provides an agrarian image. We speak of animal husbandry or the husbandman of the vineyard. While husbands are responsible for the vineyard that we call the household, they are not the owners. The household belongs to God. It's not yours to do with as you please. It is yours to please God with. God has simply made you the manager of his property and given you the responsibility to make it productive. And you will give him an account. So husbands are those who have been given the responsibility of making the vineyard productive for the owner. Now a husband might be a righteous and responsible covenant head or an unrighteous and irresponsible covenant head. Again, it's inescapable that he is the covenant head of a household, and the husband that refuses to do his duty toward God and to assume those responsibilities toward his household will know the misery of a failed crop. Counter to this, the husband that loves his household by doing his duty and fulfilling his responsibility will reap the full harvest of that covenant household. It's really that simple. It's not complicated. I didn't say it was easy, but it is simple. Nothing concerning the household is outside of his responsibility and authority, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Men, you can run, but you cannot hide from this. You are responsible for your wife. Your children, your property, and everything else that falls under the domain of your household because it is all an extension of you. When your wife fails, you failed. When your children fail, you failed. When they succeed, you have succeeded. If there are any problems in your household, they are your problems. You are the head. Even when your wife or your children sin, the husband is responsible since they are part of a household of which God has made them head the wife or the child is guilty for their personal sins and they are at fault for their conduct nevertheless the covenant head is also responsible for that conduct it's the husband's responsibility to provide biblical instruction and training and example and discipline and to exercise the necessary authority to ensure that this household follows the way of the Lord. That's why God tells Abraham he is to command his household to keep the way of the Lord. And as we'll see, that's to be done always in love. Love is the central thing. And without the love, then it becomes something awful. And we've seen many examples of that. Husbands... He begins here, love your wives. The opening command of this text is a simple declarative statement. You can't miss that. So the central thing that is to govern the role of the husband is love. The love of the husband toward the wife and the respect of the wife toward her husband is what will produce peace and harmony and communion in the marriage and in the home. Now, of course, the husband is also to respect his wife, and a wife is also to love her husband, but what we have here is an emphasis based upon their respective roles. The primary thing is for the husband to love. The wife will respond to that love, but the primary thing for the wife is to show respect, and the husband will respond to that as well. Many men have imagined themselves to be great lovers, mostly in the narrow, truncated sexual sense, it's an indication of how shallow, immature, and self-absorbed many men are. They think others might be impressed, especially the ladies. It's really a superficial way of covering up the fact that few men really know anything at all about what it means to be a great lover. Jesus was the great lover, and he never had a girlfriend. Had he married a particular woman, he would have been the perfect lover to his wife. Indeed, he modeled that love toward his bride, the church, and it's his model to which all truly great lovers must conform. It is his model to which all truly great lovers must conform. Great lovers love with depth and with substance. They love when it's easy and they love when it's difficult. In fact, their love is most evident when it's difficult. It's in the times of testing that love shines the brightest. They also love all the time, 24-7. Their love is a constant, unchanging force, even in their absence. The beloved Feels its presence. Great lovers assume responsibility as initiators. They're not waiting for someone else to love first. Remember, we love him because he first loved us. They pour themselves out with such self-sacrifice that they become irresistible. Bible teaches that God's attributes are hierarchically a- uh, arranged and that we must reflect an understanding of this hierarchy in our own lives. We have faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Without love, the rest of it is useless. Of course, we have to have a clear idea of what love is. We don't get to just define that and make it up for ourselves. First John four eight. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We must start with the broad definitions and then refine it as it is applied to particular relationships. The Bible speaks of different kinds of love. Most of you have heard this kind of thing before. We should note that they're all still love. But we have the Greek three different Greek words that are commonly used for love. Philos and eros and agape. Philos is a brotherly love, a friendship. I love you because of. I love you because we like similar things. We are fond of one another. We enjoy each other's company. And then, of course, there is the erotic or romantic love, the physical love, the physical sexual attraction a man and a woman have. And then agape, the unconditional love. This is the love. This is the word that Paul uses in this text when he says husbands are to agape their wives. They are to love their wives like God loves. Love is giving ourselves to the beloved. We give life. We sustain life. We nurture life. We protect life. True love provides and it provides everything. Love is one of the invisible realities that is loaded loaded with practical visible manifestations it's great to hear the words i love you it's great to send roses and cards and write poems it is but there's something has to be something far more in fact it's seen in the daily routines there's a a favorite song a favorite in in the movie Fiddler on the Roof that I like, and I want to recite the lyrics. When Tevi speaks to his wife, Goldie, and he asks her, do you love me? So Tevi says, do you love me? And Goldie says, do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? With our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town, you're upset. You want out. Go inside. Go lie down. Maybe it's indigestion. Tevi, Goldie, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? Goldie, you're a fool. Tevi, I know. <laughs> but do you love me? Goldie, do I love you? For 25 years, I've washed your clothes. Cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Tevi, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared. Goldie, I was shy. Tevi, I was nervous. Goldie, so was I. Tevi, but my father and my (coughs) father's father said we'd learn to love each other. So now I'm asking, Goldie, do you love me? Goldie, I'm your wife. Tevi, I know. But do you love me? Goldie, do I love him? For 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. For 25 years, my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? Tevi, then you love me? I suppose I do. Tevi, and I suppose I love you too. Together, it doesn't change a thing, but even so, after 25 years, It's nice to know. While the husband is the head, the headship is bound, is restricted by love. That's the boundary of that headship. Therefore, such loving leadership is never a tyranny. The husband has power, but not the power of a dictator. He doesn't arrogate privileges for himself while he tramples on his wife. Men, this is the woman you chose. She is your wife. And in choosing her, you chose to love her and to make her even more lovely. And you must lay down your life to accomplish her growth and her beautification No matter how attractive she was to you in the beginning, you are called to love her into greater and greater loveliness. It is good and necessary that there be physical attraction and a fondness or a friendship toward one another. Those first two kinds of love. But in Christ, something more comes into play. It's a kind of love that actually elevates, sanctifies, and even glorifies the first two kinds of love. The Christ-like, sacrificial love that the Apostle is commanding here is an everlasting love that lifts everything up. As we read, as Christ, husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The very life and death of Christ Himself is the standard which is held up for the Christian husband. I'm going to say that again. The very life and death of Christ Himself is the standard which is held up for the Christian husband. Can you even imagine what that means? He loved her. He gave Himself for her. He sanctified and cleansed her. He glorified her. Men, this is how we are to love our wives. It is only as we realize and contemplate the depth of Christ's love for the church that we can begin to function as we ought this mysterious relationship began when you were pronounced husband and wife. Something magic, something mystical happened in an instant. Everything changed. All your relationships changed. Like Christ in the church, head and body, the two became one. Every relationship changed in an instant, and so now Paul is going to tell us how Christ loved his bride. And then he's going to say to each and every Christian husband, Go and do likewise. And so let's begin with the attitude of Jesus toward his bride. How he looks at her. What is his perspective of that particular woman? With all of her flaws. With all of her idiosyncrasies. What about that? This is a love... Agape, that is in spite of her deficits and her shortcomings. She has needs, and she needs to be washed and clothed. Jesus loved his bride while she was yet a sinner. And so too, husbands, whatever your wife's deficiencies might be, you are not to despise her, but rather to love her and move to meet her every need. Second, Jesus gave himself for her. This wasn't just a theoretical willingness to sacrifice for her. You know, you might imagine, oh, I was in some situation. Somebody broke in the house. I would throw myself in front of the gun and take the bullet for my wife. That's a theoretical way of thinking, and that's fine. But what we understand is Jesus actually did this. He actually sacrificed himself for his bride. Everything he did was for her sake. You can give your life while you're still alive. It's not just giving your life in death, but it's also living your life and giving your life while you're alive. Third, she was, the church, the great object of His affection and concern. He always sought her good. He cultivates her possibilities. He works to see her perfected, to see her glorified. He's proud that she is His bride. He wants the whole world to admire her. Paul has already described this in Ephesians 3, 8 and 10. Listen. And the grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God and created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Jesus said, that's what I want to do with my bride. I'm going to use her to demonstrate to the world my glory and her glory so that everyone sees. There is nothing Jesus won't do for his bride. Men, this is a love that is governed not so much by the desire to have as it is by the desire to give. For God so loved the world that He gave. Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Sacrifice is the center of this kind of love, and this is what makes a great lover. Now, men, love is a practical and spiritual thing, and we're going to spend several more weeks on this subject but I want to point out how practical it is. Uh, some of, I've quoted before, but it, it's similar to what P.J. O'Rourke said. Everyone wants to save the earth, but nobody wants to help mom do the dishes. This is the kind of love that alway, doesn't always give her what she wants, though it often does, but it always gives her what she needs. The world is full of Poets. And songwriters who opine about true love. How many love songs are there, by the way? How many poems? But then we take a look at their actual lives. One that gets me every time, because I like both these singers. It's one thing to write about it, another thing to live it. Carly Simon wrote a song when she was married to James Taylor called Devoted to You. And she recorded it with him, and it's a lovely song, Until the Divorce. Here are the words, Darling, you can count on me till the sun dries up the sea. Until then, I'll always be devoted to you. I'll be yours till endless time. I'll adore your charms sublime, and guess by now you know I'm devoted to you. I'll never hurt you, I'll never lie, I'll never be untrue. I'll never give you a reason to cry. I'll be unhappy if you were blue. I'd be unhappy if you were blue. Through the years our love will grow like a river it will flow. It can't die because I am so devoted to you. During one of his several marriages, Bob Dylan wrote a song titled Covenant Woman. Covenant woman, got a contract with the Lord, way up yonder, great will be her reward. Covenant woman, shining like a morning star, I know I can trust you to stay where you are. I've been broken, shattered like an empty cup. I'm just waiting on the Lord to rebuild and fill me up, and I know He'll do it because He's faithful and He's true. He must have loved me so much to send me someone as fine as you. Covenant woman, intimate little girl who knows those most secret things of me that are hidden from the world. You know we were are strangers in a land we're passing through. I'll always be right by your side. I've got a covenant too, and I just got to tell you, I do intend to stay closer than any friend. I just got to thank you once again for making your prayers known unto heaven for me and to you always. So grateful, I will forever be before the next divorce. These examples can be multiplied endlessly. So men, it's not so much what you say as what you do. And for how long you do it. The test of your love is your conduct at home every day. It's not what you were like before you were married or what you were like on the honeymoon. It's not what you were like the first few months you were married. The critical question is, what are you like when there are difficulties and problems and trials and illness and when middle middle age and old age come along? The summary of what love is can be found in the brief, direct, and profound statement of 1 Corinthians 13.8. Love never fails. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word, which gives us the ability to see what we could never see on our own. Help us to abandon the feudal thinking of man left to himself and to embrace without reservation. Help us to embrace without reservation the example of our Lord Jesus Christ and his great love for his bride. I pray for the husbands in this church to eagerly pursue this great call to represent our Lord Jesus Christ and that we will all love our wives the way he loves his. And for every young man who aspires to be a husband, to be at work in these young men, even now, to prepare them for the great sacrifices that will be necessary if they are to be great lovers, the great lovers that you have called them to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the images that we have of the Lord's table is that it is the place of intimate communion between Jesus and his bride. Here we are reminded of his great love for her and that he laid down his life for her. And in remembering this, his bride, us, his bride responds by renewing her covenant commitment to him, even as he has already pledged and given everything for her. N.T. Wright comments on our text today saying this. The fascinating thing here is that Paul has a quite different way of going about addressing the problem of gender roles. He insists that the husband should take as his role model not the typical bossy or bullying male of the modern or indeed the ancient stereotype, but Jesus himself. But you say Jesus wasn't married. No, but throughout his letter, Paul has spoken of the church as the body of the Messiah, and now he produces a new twist from within this theme. The church is the bride of the Messiah, the wife of the king. The church became the Messiah's bride not by being dragged off unwillingly by force, but because he gave himself totally and utterly for her. There was nothing that love could do for the Messiah's people that he did not do. Although the crucifixion plays a central role in Paul's thought in almost every topic, nowhere else outside this passage is it so lyrically described as an act of complete, self-abandoning love. And so as we come to the Lord's table today... We should keep that in mind and keep it before our eyes. Our Heavenly Father, we offer up our united praises at the footstool of your divine majesty. We thank you that you preserved us during the night and raised us up again to see the light of another morning. And now that we are about to return again to our ordinary duties of life, after a day spent in your more immediate worship and service, enable us to go forth with an earnest desire to live under the influence of your heavenly grace. May it be a blessing to us and to those around us that we have spent a day in corporate communion with you and your people. May our minds continue on the things above, and may we fulfill our duties in our various positions with fidelity. As little children, we have all come to your table, Father, and as we have renewed covenant with you, May we serve in this coming week with humility and reliance, laying aside all envy, covetousness, jealousy, and sinful competitiveness, knowing that we are supplied by the riches of your grace in Christ Jesus, that we have been completely forgiven and cleansed, and that we start anew. Help us now to live in harmony with one another, being slow to judge and quick to forgive, even as in Christ we are forgiven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let all those rejoice who put their trust in You. Let them ever shout for joy, because You defended them. Let those also who love Your name be joyful in You. For You, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as with a shield. Amen. Amen.